Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, you can do better than that. They're already offended at you. Look at them and say, it's good to see you. Hey, we're so glad that you're here at Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And uh, what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. One of our ushers will get one to you. You can just slip up your hand. They'll get you a Bible. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that, read it every single day, because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, hey, we've been in this series over the past uh, couple weeks now, and so I want you to turn to the book of Titus. And Titus is a small book in this library of books we call the Bible. And so if you start in the right, turn left, you'll find it much faster. And it's this little book that's only a couple pages, Titus. You'll see it tucked in. If you find First and Second Timothy, you'll find Titus right after. So we're going to be in the book of Titus in this series that we've uh, entitled For God and Culture. How do we live in such a way that we impact the world around us? How do we become so infectious that we don't have to quarantine? Um, and those lines used to do better before the past two years. And uh, and I didn't adjust my stool from Pastor Rick being uh, here last week, so I'm sitting a little taller uh, this week. And uh, so turn in your Bible to Titus. I'm going to be looking at verse 9, 9 through <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 1. So chapter 1, verse 9, and then I'm going to read uh, on to the first verse of the second chapter, and just for your own uh, information, the Bible was not written with chapter and verse. This was written as a letter, a continuous letter. It was not meant to be segmented. Oftentimes, they would read it in its entirety. Could you imagine if I said, hey, open to the book of Romans. We're going to read it in its entirety, uh, and we're going to stand for the duration of that. Uh, so, you're welcome. Uh, that. We're only going to read a few verses this morning. Uh, so look at verse 9. It says this, he must hold firm. Now, who's he? He's talking about those that he said to point in leadership positions, pastoral positions, elder positions, bishop positions. He told Titus, hey, go and put in order what I left undone and appoint elders in every town. And so people who are revered as elders, not meaning older, but elders, meaning those who have been given the authority to teach in sound doctrine. Those who are the husband of one wife, their children are believers, not open to, to the charge of debauchery and insubordination for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach, not arrogant, quick tempered. I'm working on that uh, or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. How many of us are striving for that? Amen. <clears throat> 
How many of us are striving for that? Amen. Amen. This isn't about perfection. This is about the pursuit. Amen. Oh, that should give nourishment to your soul. It's not about perfection. This is about the pursuit. This isn't about uh, you making sure you have it together. It's about one step in front of the other, trying to pursue the perfect one. His name is Jesus. So then we get to verse 9. He must, talking about the overseers who have these uh, qualifications, which are basically good Christian character. And so it doesn't mean super Christians, because if I'm the best Christian in the room, we're all in trouble. Amen? Don't say amen too loud. All right? Offended by that. All right? But he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He must hold firm. Listen, if the leader up front doesn't hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. We're going to get into that. If, if someone who's appointed as a leader in every town meant to encourage and guide, if he doesn't hold to it, who will? So he must. So you must hold your leaders accountable. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Strong language. He must hold firm. He must be able to teach in sound doctrine and rebuke to stop in one's tracks. Stop, knock it off, quit. Don't listen to this person, those who contradict it. Verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. What's he talking? Especially those who poise themselves as religious leaders. Sometimes those who claim to be religious leaders are those who are the most dangerous. They can be insubordinate. We're going to talk about each one of these things. Empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Those were the Orthodox Jews of the days who were disguising themselves as Christians, who were saying, you have to become uh, a Jew before you can become a Christian. They must be silenced. Listen to the strong language that Paul writes to this young protege, Timothy. He says, listen, Hold firm to the teaching as taught. Rebuke those who contradict it because those, they're empty talkers. They're deceivers. Um, they're insubordinate. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. One of the Cretans, now he's writing to the island, the Greek island Crete. He writes, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, he's saying, this is one of them. And here's what he says about the culture and community of the Cretans. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And then Paul says, this testimony is true. Could you imagine having a preacher like this? This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply sharply that they may be sound in faith why for their good say something harsh say something truthful say something sharp like a surgeon's knife say it sharply that they may be sound in faith not devoting themselves to jewish myths 
and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. These are two different things, to Jewish myths or people who turn away from the truth. Don't devote yourself to these two things. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their conscience are, consciousness, consciences are de- defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Verse 1 of chapter 2. But as, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He starts, hold fast, teach in sound doctrine. Here's why. Here's what's happening. So you teach sound doctrine. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace today. I thank you that you help my voice. I thank you that you help us, our hearts and our minds to be open. Let us not dabble in the narratives. Let us not just hold one part of the Bible as the word of God, but let's hold the whole thing and let's see it as profitable for our lives Give us instruction, correct us, change us, transform us for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, buckle up. It's going to be one of those mornings, buttercup, okay? Uh, All right. It's going to be one of those Morning. So we talked about why we're going to go through Titus and why we've been going through Titus. It's because it helps guide us very uh, directly. It gives us insurance. We spent a year in the book of John, which is predominantly narrative uh, language. And so the Bible is 66 books put together as a library. And they're all different genres. They read different. They, they instruct different. This book is what we call an epistle. It is a pastoral Epistle. It gets put together with First and Second Timothy, and the reason why is it has this uh, a singular author, which is the Apostle Paul. P- the Apostle Paul, as we've talked about, was once known as Saul, the the Hebrew form of his name. And as he uh, God calls him to a ministry to Greeks and Gentiles, he starts using a different form of his name, which is Paul, Saul. To Paul. Saul of Tarsus, where he's from, uh, was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was zealous for the traditions of his people, the Jewish people, and he was committed, devoted to snuffing out any sense that the idea that Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the Torah and was the Jewish Messiah. He was committed to persecuting Christians, committed to murdering Christians. And that guy had a radical conversion. Many of you know people who are far from God. Many, people, many of you know people who thought God cannot reach them. Let me tell you that the Apostle Paul's story should give us encouragement that, the, that God's arm is not short in seeking and saving the lost and even the worst of us. Somebody should say amen, amen. to that. Some of us were the worst of us and we're here now. <clears throat> amen. And Paul admits this. Early on in his ministry, he begins to say, I'm an apostle called by God, not by men. And as he matures in the Lord, and let me show you what maturity in the Lord looks like. It's not going up, it's going down. It's not posturing up, it's posturing down. 
This is maturity in the Lord. So if you meet someone who says they've been following the Lord for a long time and they know a little bit about everything, oh, this is a 9 a.m. service, all right? All right, we need to hear this, amen. amen. We puff out our chest and we, we begin to know a little bit about everything for everyone else without acknowledging our own flaws, our own journey, our own mistakes. Man, don't listen to these people because elder does not mean older. Don't shoot the messenger, okay? Elder is about qualifications. Someone say amen. amen. See, I, I can be a, a young person and be mature beyond my years. <laughs> amen. Right? My dad's like, no. <laughs> right? And I can be an older person and be immature and never quite live up to my age. Don't look at him. Don't look at him. Right? Someone say amen. amen. This is true. This is true. So when Paul sets out for elders, he's talking about a qualification. He's talking about maturity. Why? Because you need to be mature and secure in order to hold fast to sound doctrine because it's going to be difficult when the world around you pushes against you. Immaturity is afraid. Immaturity is insecure. Immaturity is unsure of themselves. Maturity is aware of who they are in their weakness, and they are completely confident in his strength. This is maturity in the Lord. So what Paul does is he goes from saying, I am apostle called by God, to he says, I'm least of the saints. So you know where I got my line. If I'm the best Christian in the room, we're all in trouble. <clears throat> Paul says it this way, I am least of the saints. And by the end of his ministry, he says, I am chief of. Imagine if that's how we, no one would, no one would ever accuse the church of having hypocrites. If we were all honest about our sinfulness. Oh, that was good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. <laughs> Amen. If we're all honest about our stories, if we're all honest about our shortcomings, and this isn't about perfection, this is about a pursuit, then no one would be able to point fingers because we would give it up anyways. And so Paul gives this up and says to Titus, hey, Titus, you're going to have to find men who have this type of maturity. You're going to have to find men who have this type of character who are in the pursuit of Jesus in spite of the world around them. And you live on an island. You live on a place that is from end to end its own culture with very little room to budge. And so he's sent Titus to this island, Crete. Now, the island Crete is just off uh, the coast of Greece, and it's a, 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 an island, a port area where people are coming and going, but this particular uh, location is very proud of where they're from. Anyone proud of where they're from? And yet, they're very proud of where they're they, they're from, and they're not willing to give up their own culture or upbringing. Or in other words, this way we've always 
done it. This is how my mom did it. This is how my dad did it. This is how we were raised. And let me give you a little insight into how the Cretans were raised. They were raised with the idea that Zeus was actually born on their island. And they believed that Zeus was the ultimate alpha. He was their demigod and he was someone to aspire to. Now the stories of Zeus around Crete was he was a liar and a swindler and a womanizer and they were proud of it. This is their guy. This is the guy they aspire to be. One of their prophets says of the Cretan people, all Cretans, this entire island, talk about a generalization, this entire island is full of liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Talk about a caricature. You've never heard anyone talked about like that. Those silly Americans. Oh, this is going to be tough, right? How many, how many of you know that very quickly our cultures can have characterizations and let's be honest about the culture in which we live in and what outsiders say. So character is about what others say about us. We've talked about this before, right? Our individual character. Our, the, the old adage is my thoughts become my words, my words, my actions, my actions, my habits, my habits, my I can get better at my job. <laughs> my habits, my character. You in the front row, I can see you even if you get, right? All right. Habits, my character. What I continually do. It might not be what I hope on the inside, but it's what people say about me because it's what I continually do. It's the habit that I have. So cultures have generalizations. Cultures begin to say, this is what they're like. They're lazy. They're gluttonous. They're evil. They lie. They steal. This is not abnormal to our particular time that people would have many characterizations about the cultures in which we live in. You have, char you have characterizations about what it's like to live in California. You ever been outside of California and heard what other people say about California? I used to live there, <laughs> right? We're going to leave it at that, right? And then, and then you have characterizations about anyone who is east of here. And you think we all know each other, <laughs> right? Like you're, from, like you're from Kansas, right? Like, no, I'm from Kentucky. It's like same place. It's like, <laughs> no, it's not. Like people come to me all the time like, hey, I got a coworker from Kansas. Do you know him? Like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right? America's big place, right? So we have characters, caricatures outside. Hey, man, those are a bunch of Hokies, man. Those are East Coasters. Those are New Yorkers. Oh, he's from the South. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Right? And so we all have caricatures. And the reason why they're caricatures or stereotypes is because there's oftentimes truth embedded in it. They're from the valley. We're Central Coast, right? Where do we go? Oh, they're from Orange County, right? Uh, we're like, man, hey, listen, all of California is not L.A. in the Bay, okay? All right, all right, not L.A., not the Bay. Come on. So anyways, uh, right. And, and so we all have characters, and Crete had a character. Crete had a 
culture. And this culture is bidding for their attention. This culture is pulling them away. And the culture is we lie. The culture is we do not believe the truth. We will say whatever as long as we go along to get along. And as long as we're moving towards pleasure, as long as we're moving towards God, our own God-like behavior, because Zeus is our, what we aspire to. He's our alpha. He's our demigod. And in our culture, it's celebrity. In our culture is we want to be, hey, listen, they, I know they're a liar, but they're a good businessman. Just going to leave that and walk away, okay? And, and yet we will make excuses for the culture rather than living as those who are devoted, holding fast to sound doctrine. And so he says, listen, there are people, there are people who need to hear sound doctrine because this culture is full of those who are liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. And so he needs people, strong men, to stand in front of his peers, holding fast with good reputation and character because he's going to have to give a strong rebuke if those of us among the community of faith who call Jesus Lord tend to move away from the truth and towards lies or away from God-given design and move towards living like a beast rather than a human being. Evil beast. Just live into your nature. You were born this way. Just do it. Whatever you feel, go with that. Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, despise work, who their gods, and Timothy says, their gods have become their stomachs. Let's just stop there for a moment and say, you spend most of your life eating. I'm going to leave it there. Some of you are like, I'm hungry right now. Right? And so yet we, we move towards it. Why do we call it comfort food? Why do, we, why do we move away from work and towards comfort? Why do we lean into slothfulness? This is, this is the pull of the enemy through culture. Lazy gluttons, this testimony is true. Rebuke them sharply. See, the reason why he says this is because there are people around them particularly false teachers around them who have said to them, have lied to the people. They've said, you don't have to get rid of this culture. You can embrace this culture. You don't have to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit to give you a new life that resurrects you above the fray. So you can live this new life in this kingdom culture. You, you don't have to do any of that. You can live the same way you've always lived and you can still follow Jesus. Can I say that this is the very definition of a false teacher? 
When there is no change and there's no transformation, there's no truth, there's no wounding. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful is, is a friend who says, hey, bro, you got something on your face. <laughs> right? I love the guys like, dude, you got something in your beard because that's a problem right now. All right? 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 Like, and you're like, I love you for telling me that. Because when I walk out and I'm like, wait, no one, none of you told, what's wrong with you? Right? None of you told me that I had some, amen? You, you, you didn't tell me the truth. See, here's the, the problem is sound doctrine. What is the definition of sound doctrine? Because he starts this and ends this with teaching sound doctrine. Now there are people who stand in positions like this, who stand on stage, have microphones, and, and oftentimes they preach from the very same book. So how do I know what is sound doctrine? You ever ask that question? And how do I know what's true? Well, first he gives qualifications for what these people in leadership should be like. And so he talks about the, the quick temper, the, uh, the marriage is in order. Man, he's raising his kids in the fear of the Lord. He's accountable to others. He, he's under submission to authority. He's not insubordinate. He has people around him. He's not quick-tempered or arrogant or a drunkard or violent, greedy for gain, but hospitable. It doesn't mean he has a personality that I like. None of that is in there. Right? And I really want you to like me. Right? He, he doesn't say, man, that he is eloquent. It doesn't say that you prefer his teaching over others. It does not say that I like the style. It does not say that I like his personality. Oh, this is good preaching. Someone say amen to that. It says that he, he's a man of character in a pursuit, not perfection, in a pursuit like us, not a guru, but a guide, that he may hold fast to the word as taught, holding fast to the scripture so they may be able to give sound instruction and doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. What is sound doctrine? The sound doctrine is the way of Jesus. The word as taught. The word as taught is always pushing me away from my way to his way. How many of you think your way is better than Jesus's way? I'll wait. <laughs> so uh, you think your way is better than Jesus's way. I guarantee that if I followed you around for 15 minutes, I could find fault with you. And if you followed me around for 15 minutes, you would find fault with me. But I can tell you that you could follow Jesus around for all of eternity and you will never find fault. The most wicked, corrupt government in human history, the Romans, washed their hands and said, we cannot find fault with him. His words have been going viral for thousands of years. In a revolutionary time where it was tribe versus tribe, where we saw people from different areas as different things entirely. Jesus says these words, love your neighbor as yourself. Let me tell you, his way is higher than your way. His way is better than your way. And sound teaching is pushing you towards the person of Jesus. Now, how many of you remember this great scene in the princess bride? Remember that movie? I'm going to age myself. Three of you? Awesome. Remember the line, my name is Inigo Matoya. You, 
you kill my father. Prepare to die. Not that scene, okay? All right, it's not what we're talking about. The same character says over and over, there's this one guy who keeps going inconceivable, all right? And he goes, you keep using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means, right? You like my accent in that, don't you? Where's Anthony at? Do I do all right? No, Keats in Yeah, yeah. He says, you keep using this word. It does not mean what, I what you think it means. Here is the problem with the culture in which we live. There are false teachers among us who keep using the same words and they have different meanings. So it's very hard to discern. They're using the same words. And when they say Jesus, they're not talking about the same Jesus that the Bible talks about. So the first question you have to ask is, are we talking about the same person? Is this a Jesus that you've made in your own image? Or is this the Jesus that the Bible reveals to us by the Spirit of God? He has given us. This is the person of Jesus. See, false teachers use the same words and have different meanings. And they begin to use words and what they mean is completely different. They'll use words and bend their meaning. For example, they'll use words like tolerance. And the Bible's word for this is acceptance, acceptance by repentance. See, the idea of tolerance is anything goes. And the view of the scriptures is you are accepted. But God loves you enough right where you are. But he loves you enough not to keep you that way. See, repentance is about changing the way you think so that you do something different. And what happens is, is in a world that says tolerance is the top, they become completely intolerant of anyone else who thinks differently than they do. They use this word, but I don't think it means what they think it means. They use words like equality. And when they mean equality, they mean totally good. They mean this group of people and this group is equally good. And you know what the Bible says about equality? We're all equally bad. Let me just give you sound doctrine. When the Bible talks about equality, where we find that is all sinners at the foot of a perfect Jesus slain on an old rugged cross. Here's where you will find equality. At the foot of Jesus where we are all sinners saved by grace. This doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter your upbringing or where you're from. Here's the reality that above all else, your heart is a deceiver and wicked and pulling you away. And Christ is calling you to save you and transform you and give you a new life that's better than just being a dead person walking. False teachers use words like love. They use like words like love and they, they twist it. And they, they, they say love is this or love is that and it all goes through that. Love is making sure 
that anything goes. Love is making sure that all things are accepted and there's never a harsh word. And yet those who love their children discipline their children. How wicked is a parent who does not chastise their child, who does not say, son, stop. I love you enough. You cannot behave this way. Even if it makes you in the moment despise me and feel hatred and anger towards your father. I love you enough. You do not have the perspective, son. You are a child. How much more does a parent love their children instead of loving themselves? That they not hold on to their own ego and reputation even with their child. Listen, I, I, want, them to be, I want them to be my friend. I want them to love them. But friend, if you don't tell someone the truth, you are no friend to them. False teachers use the same words and different meanings. See, Paul writes out, here's what false teachers do and here's how they go. And I wanna help you with what this looks like. False teachers, for those are many among you who are insubordinate. Here's the first one. Insubordinate. What does he mean by insubordinate? They reject spiritual authority. False teachers reject spiritual authority. What is that with us? Spiritual authority is the word of God as revealed to us through his holy scriptures. It's this story that reveals to me the perfect son of God. His name is Jesus. It's all about False teachers deny the authority of Scripture, number one. You want to know how to identify those who are teaching things that are not sound? They do not hold fast. They do not love it. They do not submit to it. They pick certain books and certain passages and avoid the rest. False teachers reject the Bible as the Word of God. They use words like it's fiction. Even people who stand in platforms like mine, in communities like ours, will begin to call this book fictional inspired stories, at the very least. They'll tell Jesus stories and be talking about a completely different Jesus. They'll only use the words that they like that Jesus says. And then there's words that Jesus says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, or in other words, you live the life that I've called you to live, you will have no part. And everyone left. They will give a Jesus that is palatable, not principled. They will give a Jesus that is preferable. Not a Jesus who is powerful not a Jesus who actually calls me to something different. See, false teachers will call this book fictional inspired stories. They'll use words like trajectory theology. In other words, they will say the Bible was the starting point and like an arrow, it's shooting us in a different direction. But here's the problem. They will say they're the ones who now get to decide where the arrow is going. Well, who, who decides, friend? See, this is what happens. When you have a culture 
that does not submit to the word of God, something that is transcendent above themselves. They'll make their own rules. They'll plunge themselves into chaos. Recently, there's a book released, How the Bible Changed the World, and it's written by a former Hindu, a boy who was raised in India, a scholar who looks, has looked at all of his country's native books and their, their guru's textbooks, their scriptures. He actually went to them and said, hey, can I read these? And they're like, no. I just want to read, I want to read the text. I want to read what you're telling me. I want to know where you're getting it from. They wouldn't allow it. See, the Bible was at one point used that way. And then there was this thing called the Reformation where people died and people fought in order to get this book that we give out every single week. And if you want one, you can have one. You can take it and read it every single day because it's a story about Jesus and you can meet with Jesus when you read it. Somebody say amen to that. (laughs) And it's actually the very first book ever printed. And all other books come after it. And that book changed the known world. And that book is a guiding principle for us. See, as I'm running out of time and it's going to take us another week to get through this sermon. It's better than a year, all right? See, I want to help us discern the tactics of the enemy through false teachers because here... Here is the work of the enemy. They use the same words, different meanings. And how I know the meanings of these words is I get in this book, I eat this book, I love this book. You have this book as a gift from God. And if you read it looking for the person of Jesus, not for looking to confirm your own biases, not to look to confirm your own opinions, but you'll look at it and you'll say, God, transform my heart, change my life. I wanna know what you have for me through the power of your spirit. So illuminate your word, put it in front of me. Let me meditate on, on it day and night. Let me hide it in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, the very definition of sin is a deviation. Like an arrow, see what we did here? The word for sin, kata in the Hebrew, is this idea of of an archer shooting a bow on target. How many, how many bow hunters we got in here? Yeah, California. <laughs> how many of you know that just a small variation, just a small branch in the way, just a breeze in the air, sway. See, that's the enemy's tactic. He's not, he's not in front of us going, hey, worship me. He's going, just be a little off. <clears throat> he's not saying bow down before me. He's just saying, I just hope you miss. I just hope you listen just enough because over a few moments, it's not a far miss. See, here's the thing about an arrow. If you can stretch it out, it never stops. The further away from its starting point it gets, the further the deviation. 
So what happens when you go, yeah, 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 the scriptures meant this, but I, I, I'll tell you where it's going. I got a better, I got a better, better target than the Bible. I got a better, better target than Jesus. I got a better way of life. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Sound doctrine is the way of Jesus. Here's the reality is none of us are able to keep that way. So that's why Paul says, so I'm crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live because I know I have a tendency to veer off. I know I have a tendency to make my own way. I know I have a tendency to do what's best for me, not best for others. How about you? See, trajectory theology says, I know a better way. Listen to me. I'll show you the way. Thomas asked Jesus, he says, Jesus, show us the way. He says, Thomas, how long have I been with you? I am the way. It's my life in exchange for yours. And here's the question. Is do I see Jesus? That's what our last series in John. Do I see Jesus as Lord? Do I see him as in charge? Do I see him as the authority? Because false teachers are insubordinate to the authority of Christ. Because they've made themselves their own authority, which is the very first sin. It's the very thing that leads all other sin, pride. Pride. Let me say it this way. That word's been hijacked and it's been hijacked and twisted in a way that no longer is a sin that will lead to destruction, but it's something to be proud of and celebrated. What do you mean, Pastor Sam? I mean, I, friend, I can struggle with sin, but I'm not proud of it. How about you? Let me tell you the markers when you ask the question, what sin makes me in or out? The sin where I think my way is better than God's way and I'm proud of it. That's all sin. See, sin takes the form of I know your voice, but I'd rather listen to mine. I know your design, but I'd rather go with what I feel rather than what is faithfulness. See, God calls me to teach sound doctrine and hold fast. You go, Pastor Sam, that's insensitive. No, it's just the word of God. Let me, let me say this as we close. We're gonna talk more and more about these things more directly. I'm running out of town, out of time and the clock. You know, you know what I'm realizing right now is they got me counted down and I still have four minutes left and it's showing negative six seconds right now. Who set that timer, Joe? 
The Okie from Muskogee is like, we're getting out of here early today. I'm not joking. I got four minutes and they're like, you're done. The start of this is, is you have to decide. You have to decide. Is the word of God true? Is the Bible true? Is it my authority for my life? Not a pastor. You trade pastors. It doesn't matter. It's what's true and will you follow it? You could go find someone who will tickle your ears. and say they love you and fill your life full of lies. But we together, because Paul calls us to it, calls me to it. Man, I wanna love my family, I wanna love my children, I wanna fearfully pursue God's character on my life as you do the same. And then I wanna hold fast to sound doctrine to show you the way of Jesus And a deviation from that is death and destruction. A deviation from Jesus is the very definition of sin. And to celebrate sin is to reject the Lordship of Jesus, where you say, my way's better than your way. Friend, that can be in homosexuality, That could be in heterosexuality. That can be I lie and I call it good. That can be I'm a lazy glutton and I think I'm a good person. That can be anything that's a deviation from Jesus and I'm proud of it. So friends, it doesn't matter if you trade a pride rally for a biker rally, they both will lead you away from Jesus. Oh, that's great preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Doesn't matter. It's not one sides more with my political persuasion and my personality preferences and the other one doesn't. The question is in all areas of life, Do I love Jesus and is he Lord and is he worthy? And will I hold fast to his way over my way? And I'll humbly, because I know I'm proud. How about you? I'm full of pride. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher said, we are all prideful men and women pursuing humility by the grace of God. So don't let my tone confuse you. This is all for dramatic effect. I want to plead with you. I want to love you well. I want to wrestle with this together. But the starting point for this is that we hold fast and we say, God, you're my authority and nothing else. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace. 
Jesus, I told them to buckle up. Jesus, I pray that you would help their hearts. Let them wrestle with your word. Let them struggle well. If we fight well with the text, others will win. If we wrestle with the questions of our reality, not just being lazy, moving towards beastly desires, we lie to ourselves above all. But we would hold fast to the truth. Help me to do the same. Because as we strive together, the longevity and the legacy of our families and our children, the way the arrow of our lives go as you stretch this out over generations. Let it be for your glory, Lord, and the good of our families and the good of our communities. Let us humbly submit to your authority and no one else. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?